All right, hello, hello. What's happening, Instagram? What's happening, YouTube? Uh, back for another Q&A session. Um, pulling up with questions from this week. Um, there's nobody here quite yet on Instagram, but I'm gonna take um, two uh, or three uh, people for a giveaway for the people, first couple people joining on Instagram and YouTube. If you send me your address uh, in an email, to uh, my email, nick at nickfinzermusic.com, uh, saying that you were one of the first people on Instagram. I have some new keychains that I got made up for my label outside of music. So if you want to do that, email me if you want something, a giveaway item. So uh, incentivize people to come and join these uh, live streams right away. Sometimes we'll have uh, little giveaways. So email me, nick at nickfinzermusic, and just say that you're one of the first people in the uh, chat and I'll get that sent out to you uh, straight away. Uh, so that'll be that'll be fun to do. So welcome, happy Valentine's Day if you're so inclined. Um, I'm happy to say that a lot of people sent some uh, questions in early this time, so we have a good amount of questions so far. But if anybody in YouTube or uh, Instagram want to drop in a question, feel free to. Uh, I see a hello from Oleza Trombone. What's happening? Uh, M.M. Pegley, hello. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, joining joining our little live stream here. Uh, so feel free to drop those in at any time. Uh, I'm excited. The tour for Cast of Characters is coming up. Uh, I do have this record. The record is here. If you're interested, Cast of Characters, it's up uh, a bunch of... Singles have been released. This week we had a new single called The Weatherman that came out on Tuesday. Um, hey Luke, what's happening? Thanks for being here. Um, that came out Tuesday. The record comes out two weeks from today, February 28th. Uh, the full record of Cast of Characters will be out and also the kickoff of the tour. So uh, the tour kicks off in Austin. We just actually had a rehearsal for the 29th in Denton, Texas at UNT. Um, so that's exciting getting back into this music again. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So without any further ado and background, um, make sure if you missed it and you're just joining the live stream now, you go back to the beginning because there may or may not be some giveaway there at the beginning of the live stream. So uh, we have a bunch of questions. Feel free to drop some in if you have any, but um, I'm excited to share some of these questions. So uh, Robbie W. Trombone, who has been a frequent contributor of questions. Thank you, Robbie. Um, he asked, what have you been shedding? So I'll show you what I've been shedding. Let me get my trombone. So I've been thinking a lot about, um, number one, the music for the record. So trying to get back into that. And um, so the record was built on these two triad pairs. So a D triad pair and a D flat. And kind of this hex chord, uh, six note scale or six six pitch uh, scale thing um, oh nice you're gonna come to the USA that'll be great MM Pegley I'm glad you can do that I uh, look forward to meeting you uh, so anyway we have this six note pitch set or whatever you want to call it this D D and D flat <laughs> Uh, 
So I've been practicing those kind of things there. What's up, Chris? Thanks for being here. I'm going to get to your question in just a minute. Hey, Tommy. Thanks for saying what's up. Uh, oh, TMEA. Nice. Um, so I've been practicing that D and D flat triad. So that's like a triad pairs, you could say, you know, half step triad pairs, major chords. So I'm practicing that. I'm practicing the music for my record, from my record. And a lot of that uses that. And then I just started practicing this week some open position major chord exercises, which I'm excited about. There's a YouTube video coming soon about that. Just kind of taking, you know, I have a lot of, when I make the students do a lot of like, kind of like stuff through a major key center but I've been practicing something like this where we just open it up into open position instead of closed position so it's like things up and start to uh, hear harmony and voice leading on the trombone like as a single note instrument so uh, I'm pretty excited about that I'm pretty nerdy about harmony I like harmony I like practicing harmony so it's always been uh, something that I've wanted to kind of master and learn on the trombone is how to play more harmony more voice leading just as a single note instrument um, so that's what I'm practicing these days uh, yeah so um, there's a very interesting question that uh, Chris Bauer, one of the students here at UNT, left. Um, at UNT, we had um, Terry Lynn Carrington and her group, which was Tia Fuller on saxophone, Ingrid Jensen on trumpet, Chris Davis on piano, and Linda Mahon O uh, on bass. Hey, David, thanks for being here. And uh, there's a question from Chris about one of the master classes that they gave this week. He says, uh, do you or your colleagues transcribe? Tia Fuller said she hasn't transcribed since college. Um, and I guess that that's kind of true and also not true. I definitely transcribe things still. Um, full solos, it might be since, since my college days as well that I haven't transcribed a full solo top to bottom. Um, but definitely grabbing little bits and pieces all the time. So I think it's important to be listening and to be absorbing and to be checking stuff out all the time. And so I do still transcribe, uh, but, but it's not in the same way that I used to transcribe during college. Um, in college, it was like absorb the full solo. We're talking about really getting into trying to play exactly like JJ or exactly like Curtis and get the style and the feel and all of that stuff, the eighth note flow. Uh, all of it is involved and kind of later after maybe you kind of have a way of playing that's built on those styles and then you start to incorporate your own uh, but getting that vocabulary and so sometimes I'm transcribing like piano voicings or I'm transcribing bass lines or I'm transcribing tunes but a full solo I guess probably not as much as I did when I was in college but I still am transcribing uh, things and so getting better and better at transcribing and as your ears develop the less you actually have to sit down and transcribe because you're kind of knowing what things are as it, as it happens rather than having to sit down and transcribe and actually like write all of that um, so that's the answer to that question from so yes keep, you're going to keep transcribing throughout your life you're going to keep uh, developing how fast you can do it so that you don't necessarily have to um, do it 
a full solo after you've like after you've done 20 JJ Johnson solos, you know, you're not going to find anything super revolutionary that's different than what he did already. So you can probably listen and recognize the similar type of phrases, the sim- similar type of decorations, feel, etc. that he's using when he's doing it. So um, so you don't have to transcribe a full solo all the time, at least not in my opinion. <clears throat> so thanks for that question, Chris. If you're live now, feel free to drop in some questions into uh, the live stream if you would like. Otherwise, I have a bunch of questions here from this week and I'm excited to get to. That was a good one. Uh, Jonah Portinari, he asks, uh, thoughts on trombone as a walking bass voice? Um, hmm, well, that is something that I think is a great exercise. It's a limiting exercise, and I like to practice improvisation by limiting myself or having the students try to limit themselves. It's basically limiting your rhythmic options to quarter notes. ends up sounding like a walking bass line. So I encourage students to do that as part of the kind of tune learning sequence that I try to prescribe if they don't have one already. I think there's a lot of ways to learn tunes and there's no one way. Everybody can kind of do their own thing. Um, but in terms of walking bass lines, like we, we talk about doing like the root melody first and then I do like root to third, root to seventh as half notes. And then we do an exercise where it's like root seventh, root third. It's pretty straightforward. something like that where you're playing um, root seven through third of each chord that was just the beginning of a blues but then you can switch from there and go it just helps you keep time helps you keep time and actually have to keep time yourself and be responsible for the time and be responsible for the harmony at the same time. So uh, my thoughts, Jonah, are that you should be able to walk bass, trom- bass trombone, bass lines on trombone. And it's something that we, we definitely do in lessons, definitely do that when I'm talking about uh, learning tunes. It's a, it's a great way to learn it. I encourage people to learn it on the piano, but if you're not going to learn it on the piano, then you've got to learn how to uh, at least walk a bass line or walk uh, some kind of timekeeping, harmony-keeping exercise on our single-note instrument. So uh, definitely, yes, definitely try and do that. Uh, I saw a question come in on the live stream from Tommy Klaus uh, asking about mouthpiece. I don't know if he's just joking around, but um, it looks kind of crazy. It looks kind of crazy because it's black on the outside, essentially, but it's just tarnished. It's just a regular silver plate. But um, he asked what it is. It's a Marcinkowitz 6ES. Um, and I don't know what the S means. I forgot at this point, but, um, yeah, you can check that out, especially for those. I saw a couple students saying they were watching from TMEA, so I'm sure you can go down to the exhibit hall and find, find that mouthpiece if you want to find it. Um, okay, so moving on to the next question that came in. We have one from Gonzo Beans, where the two Zs, uh, he asks, how can I doodle tongue? The notes just don't seem to articulate. Um, well, I don't doodle tongue. That's number one. So that's how I handle that situation. Uh, I, and that's exactly the reason why I don't 
use it because I don't find it to be particularly uh, articulate. Um, it sounds like to me most of the time. Not always. There's plenty of people that do it really, really great, including Bob McChesney uh, and others. Marshall Jilks and uh, Mike Dees, a lot of people, but I just don't do it. I don't think it's effective for me, and I tried to learn it for a while, a couple years, and I just never thought that it really was effective. So I just, I do like more of a D and G syllable on the double tongues. Instead of it just, I don't know. If you want to actually learn how to do it, you got to get the Bob McChesney book. You should go to, uh, he teaches that uh, in California, Long Beach. He teaches in Long Beach. So go down to Long Beach and outside of LA and study with Bob and I'm sure he'll give you all the secrets to doodle tonguing uh, that I do not have unfortunately sorry I wish that I did um, thanks to all of you that are here live on the stream if you have a question feel free to drop it in uh, I'm excited to keep going through these questions there's good questions this week um, if you're just joining now you got to go back to the beginning there was uh, maybe a giveaway at the beginning and also uh, some good questions that came in a uh, bunch of people that want shout outs so that's nice I'm just scrolling through some of these questions we got just a couple more here um, do you here's one from Joel Reyes good morning good morning Joel uh, do you did you practice Bordoni pieces for your technique yeah I definitely practice Bordoni uh, there's so many stories of JJ Johnson people going to his house and what's on the music stand the Bordoni the Rochu etudes if for if you don't know those are the same um, Rochu Bordoni their legato tonguing is like one of the hardest things to do on trombone really well really clean and also really smooth so it's definitely a focus and uh, if you don't focus on it it's gonna your te trombone technique is definitely gonna suffer um, it helps with musicality you can then use it for range building by playing it up an octave down an octave and tenor clef and alto clef and treble clef uh, doing all those different things, uh, but it's an essential component of practicing. Um, you know, I guess I probably need to be more explicit about assigning them to my students. I assume that they do them uh, and they have been doing them, but it could be the case that they're not, but I definitely, I have them on my stand all the time. Like it's the book that is the most beat up. If I had it close by, I would show you, but it's got duct tape on it and it's all taped back together because I've, practiced it for so long I've had the same book since high school and I don't even get into the second book I just use that first book that for uh, the first 60 melodious etudes as they're called um, it's so important and you know when I was studying with Wycliffe Gordon when I was in high school that we, we used to work on those two I think we used to work on number 27 I think it's 27 it's an E major uh, I think I think that's number 27. It was hard. That was a hard one. It was one of those moments where like, yeah, you need to deal with these hard things and deal with your weaknesses. Um, trombone playing has to come first. You're not going to be able to play all of the great music in your mind if you don't actually get the technique to execute it first. So, um, yeah, that's something that's important to me. The Bordoni is an essential thing. If you are a trombonist and you're watching and you're not practicing with the Bordoni, uh, you are doing yourself a disservice. So... De definitely make sure that you pick that book up there's a bunch of editions of it it doesn't matter which one you get you can probably find them on imslp if you are that 
uh, inclined to do so. Uh, they might be like in treble clef or something from the vocal original vocalises, but they're all they're all great. And then if you get bored of those, I try to take jazz standards ballads that are the same and kind of apply some of the same techniques to playing them. Um, maybe a jazz ballad that has a little more technical nature to it, just to practice that smoothness, practice that legato tongue. Um, but it's essential to me, definitely essential. Okay, moving on here. Uh, let's see, some questions from this week. Okay, here's one that came in. This is a good question as well. Um, from E Bouts Music with a Z. Uh, what was your mindset slash perception slash slash self expectations like in undergrad? Okay, that is a good question and might be a kind of a long answer. Um, my mindset. So I kind of had a chip on my shoulder because I had been focused for a long time as an undergrad, pre-undergrad, on the fact that I wanted to go to New York and that I wanted to go to Juilliard. And I just had it in my mind that if I wasn't going to be doing this jazz or trombone thing at like the highest levels, like whatever that means, but in my mind, that's what that meant. Going to New York, being at Juilliard, that's what it meant, being at the highest level. If I wasn't going to do it, then I wasn't going to do it at all. So I had a very strong will that that's what I wanted to do. And so my mindset was, I'm going to take this time while I'm at Eastman uh, to get as good as I can, get as many, much trombone stuff dealt with as I can, and learn how to play jazz, actually, learn tunes, uh, and pre prepare to move to New York, prepare to be able to work in any situation, prepare to go to grad school at Juilliard, which I did end up doing. Um, so that worked out, that focus and that mindset of actually like having that clear goal that that's what I wanted to do and where I wanted to end up. So for me, that's been really important and it's something that got me a long way. I'm also extremely stubborn and once I set my mind on doing something, I won't give up usually until it's extremely unhealthy to continue, <laughs> which may or may not be the best path for other people. Um, so that was my mindset. My perception was that I sucked. Uh, my self-perception was that I was terrible uh, and that I needed to get better. Then there was a reason I never got into Juilliard. And I, uh, I also had some masterclass experiences with some older jazz musicians um, from New York that uh, really cut me down when I was in high school and in early college. And it was really you know, an important thing to me to like prove those people wrong. I don't know why, <coughs> excuse me. But I really wanted to do that. Um, so I had all of this kind of on my mind, in the back of my mind during the whole time while I was in school. Um, but yeah, I thought that I sucked. And I was like, I need to get this together. And my perception was always... My perception was always that I needed to be able to compete at the highest level, I guess. And like... Eventually, it dawned on me that it was like, oh, all these people that have this amazing technical ability or have this amazing, like, private, not private, um, amazing, like, musical oeuvre, I guess, you know, they're able to do all this incredible stuff. Like, if I want to be on that level, I'm going to have to practice that stuff. So I started practicing anything and everything, and I wanted, and then people told me that. Um, if you like, were on a Broadway show, that if you made one mistake, you'd get fired. 
And obviously it's not really totally true, but in my mind I was like, okay, so I need to be perfect at sight reading. So I just held myself to the standard that I was gonna play it right the first time. And if I didn't, then I needed to keep working on sight reading. So I sight read every single day. And being in bands, playing gigs, that only helps. So just sight reading all the time, you know, so while I was at Eastman, my mindset was like, I've always had this kind of separation between thinking about the craftsmanship of music and the artistry of music. One does inform the other, obviously. You can't do one without the other. You can't be a great artist. Well, you can be a great artist without great technique, but you're not going to be totally free to do everything that you hear or imagine if you're not totally free with your technique and ability to express on your instrument. So I've kind of had those two different camps in my mind for a long time. The... Um, ability to develop as a craftsman, play anything, read anything, and then also to, to be an artist and write music and play my music, interpret other people's music and have a musical identity and a musical personality. So kind of during undergrad, it was definitely um, something that I was thinking about trying to get those bass skills totally together. And by bass skills, I mean like trombone, music theory, knowing what chords are, trying to deal with the piano, all of this different stuff was kind of what my mindset perception and expectations were. My, you know, I did a lot of things. I wanted to get a lot of experience. I used to teach a lot then as well. I had 12 private students at one time. I was teaching a couple school ensembles and, you know, in Rochester. The gig scene wasn't huge, but you know, I was able to get into that scene probably by my junior and senior year. I was working probably four or three, at least three or four, if not five nights a week, uh, in addition to doing all the playing. I mean, you know, doing all the usual stuff, you know, the wedding bands and the salsa. There was a lot of salsa gigs then in Rochester, and I did a lot of that. And so that was my expectation of myself was that I was going to do all those things. I needed to get good all those things so that I could go to New York and support myself by playing all these different types of gigs. Um, so that I could eventually move into a situation where I could be playing what I wanted to play and being more choosy and focusing on quote-unquote interesting music in terms of, you know, whatever that means, jazz music, whatever. Um, so yeah, that was my mindset. I was like, I'm going to go to this place uh, in Rochester. Well, that's where I'm from. I'm going to go to Eastman and I'm going to get as much out of it as I can. Squeeze it for everything that it's worth. I had a band. We used to play play multiple times a month and try to get thing, things together like writing, starting to write tunes and all of this stuff. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of what my mindset was like. I know it was a long answer, but uh, okay, cool. We got some questions here in the live stream. Drop them in. We're kind of to the end of the uh, pre-prepared questions unless I should answer some of these questions about uh, hey have a look at my Instagram I'm going to teach you how to grow it or something like that but um, feel free to drop some more in here on the live stream but there's one here from uh, the great bone he says he asks what is your process for writing music do you write melodies with chords already in mind in your head do you write chords then come up with a melody um, okay so this um, I've done all of those things. I try to now go with one of two things first, which is either the mood of the piece and kind of and kind of think how it fits into a set of music. Like, um, do we need like a chill tune? Do we need something with a fast vibe? Do we, does it need to be major? Does it need to be minor? 
Uh, that can be a starting place for me. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm just gonna drink some of this coffee here. Um, that could be a starting place for me. Uh, and then I try now, currently, to write the melody first. Um, sometimes it doesn't happen that way because sometimes um, you're hearing harmony first and sometimes you're hearing a bass line, sometimes you're hearing a groove. Uh, but I found the tunes for me that are my favorite tunes of mine or that I feel like come across the best in a gig are the ones where I've written the melody first. And then I figure it out. Because you can have the slickest chord changes in the world, but if there's no melody there, then it kind of becomes just an exercise rather than a tune, I guess. I mean, I have plenty of tunes that are fat, just fast lines, uh, and plenty of tunes that started off as exercises, like the opening track for my first record called, the record's called Exposition, but the first track's called Alternate Agenda. Uh, it was an exercise in learning how to play two new types of, sounds that I was working on back in 2007-2008. Uh, the sounds were the melodic minor, modes of the melodic minor, and the diminished scale. So that's what's in that tune. That's all it is. That's where it started and it became, you know, more of a musical vehicle eventually, but it started as an exercise for just being able to, you know, shed and practice and on my gigs be working on the stuff that I'm working on. You know, that's kind of a hack that sometimes musicians don't realize is that if you're working on stuff and you want to be working on, you know, just modal mixture, you want to work on modes of the mock minor, melodic major, whatever, you could write some tunes if you can't find any. There are plenty out there, but sometimes in the moment, you know, when you write something yourself, it helps you to understand it a little bit better because you're trying to use it. Like, how do I use this in context? How do I create a melody with the melodic minor, not just like run it up and down? Or play some kind of scalar pattern that's totally based on um, like tactile muscle memory and all of that. So trying to hear, actually hear the sounds. So um, if you can, I go, would go with the melody first. And then if you've got this cool melody or parts of a melody, it might hint to you a cool groove or a cool ostinato or anything like that. So um, and if when you come up with it in kind of tandem, it keeps the melody strong, at least that I've found. Because um, even when you think about great jazz composers, you know, they, they write great melodies too. Like no matter how slick the harmony is, there's great melodies. Benny Golson, man. Um, Benny Golson and I don't know. I, I just think of tune writers, you know. He always comes to mind. You know, Jimmy Heath, Slide Hampton, J.J. Johnson. All You know, they all have tunes they write tunes it's not just lines like i love bud powell's music and it's also pretty melodic too even though it's bebop stuff but it, you know bud powell or has like a lot of notes to the tunes but um anyway so harmony should uh harmony should be um after the melody melody first if you can that's what i've discovered but uh i do it all different ways so that's how i write music that's my process oh great we got a few more questions here uh Yajima97 says, do you use P-E-T-E -E for training? I don't know what that is, so no. Uh, sorry, I don't even know what that is. If you want to write me what it is, I might have an, more to offer on that, but I don't know what that is. Or leave me a comment or something if you know what P-E-T-E -E is. I'm assuming it's in relationship to trombone stuff, I would guess. Um, another question here from Jazzbone PT. Uh, what equipment do you use to record your performances outside of the studio? Uh, okay, this will be a, a meta moment. I'm recording this for YouTube also. I use this camera here. 
It's a Canon camera. Uh, 80D, I have that, uh, that I use for YouTube videos, but I also film myself, I film the students, I film lots of things, as many things as I can film. I film it just to have it on record. Um, it's not all on, up on YouTube or out anywhere, but to have as much as I can. Uh, I also use this guy, um, this Zoom. I've used all different Zooms over the course. I have <coughs> all the different sizes. I have the little one, I have the big one that has inputs. Um, this one I find, this is the Q2N, is not sponsored video by the way but uh, q2n is one that uh, works well because it has audio and video so in a pinch you can do the video the video is pretty low quality especially in low light uh, concerts and stuff like that it doesn't necessarily come out that well but it's the same microphones that are in the the bigger um, H h4n which uh, I don't know if they're exactly the same but they're similar enough that it also sounds like pretty darn good um, so I try to re record as much, many things as possible. I use this. And then I also have camera bag stuff over here. Uh, I have a little lava, lavalier mic that I plug into my iPhone uh, to record videos sometimes uh, to get better audio. Uh, my camera used to have a Rode video mic on it. Uh, I don't know where that is right now, but it's... Uh, it's broken. So we're currently between Rode mics and the last thing that I use that I got sponsored from a company called Apogee is this thing called a mic, M-I-C. Obviously it's a microphone, but uh, they just call it a mic, M-I-C. Uh, I've had this ooh, close to eight years, ten years now. Uh, they sponsored our uh, nonprofit, sorry, the Institute for Creative Music uh, back in the early 2010s and we uh, used them to teach some recording workshops to like high school students on how to use it how to set up garage band and this kind of stuff just to like record your practice and get some decent stuff um, recorded you know about 10 years ago uh, or maybe a little less but um, so those are the things that I use to record in terms of like my personal stuff um, if we're talking about in a studio, a real studio, I usually always hire a videographer that has nicer cameras than me. And I like to use the Coles, I think it's 4038 is the name, but if you look in a bunch of the videos, it's I'm, it's right in front of me on the video that came out this week, The Weatherman. Uh, if you look at any of the videos from this most recent session and probably any session of my sessions that are on YouTube um, from the Bunker Studio. And the Bunker Studio is the one where it's kind of wood paneled and all of that around it. Um, what am I trying to say? Oh, yeah. So the 4038 is the microphone that I like to use. And then uh, you can check it out there. It looks like this. It's kind of like a circular shape. And it, has, it looks like a great, um, like it's grated a little bit. But anyway, I think it sounds really good. It, 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 it's pretty dark. You know, but I just like this trombone sound to be dark. I don't want it to be loud and blaring but that's just me I and mean, that's just personal opinion and i can see why you'd want it to be different than that so uh, that's that so I, i'm really glad all of you could be here today a lot of people in the stream on and off for the last uh, however long we've been doing this about half an hour or so um just take a couple more questions and then i'm going to get on with the rest of the day i've <clears throat> got some other stuff to do but feel free to drop any other questions in uh I see another one here from Jazzbone PT. Yes, there's time. How important do you think social media is for jazz trombonists and musicians in general? I think that uh, social media is the way people connect, and social media is the way uh, that people find out and is 
who you are, what you're about, um, whether or not we like it or not is not really relevant. Uh, do I want to spend all day scrolling on Instagram or watching YouTube videos? Probably not. But whenever you're looking for something, whenever you're looking for music, a lot of times, you know, you discover things on these platforms and it's a great way to connect. And <clears throat> the thing that I think about is that if you aren't on those platforms, you aren't where people are looking for stuff, then you kind of don't exist to the next generation. And, you know, as much as I'd like to go to the, you know, older folks that, you know, like jazz and like music, you know, they are aging. They might not be into what I'm trying to do if I'm trying to, you know, blend styles or, you know, be a modern jazz musician and like move things along and play with crazy effects or like loud or this or that and trying different things or playing free and like people that are fans of Wycliffe Gordon and Curtis Fuller and JJ maybe aren't a fan of that too. So in terms of developing an outlet for that, I feel like you need to be reaching out to also your peer group, your age group and younger. And as you get older that, you know, obviously that gets more and more people in that younger category. So if you start now, um, and you're on the platforms, then people that are younger than you can find you because that's where they are. And they're looking for trombone content, even if it's jokes or memes or whatever. They're looking for stuff and people find it. And you've got to have a strategy, I think, and you have to have a budget for paid marketing, you know, on those platforms. Unfortunately, you're not going to, people aren't going to just find stuff anymore. So I'm running ads all the time onto my YouTube channel from Facebook and Instagram. I'm, you know, using some of the better videos and content to drive awareness, you know, to new people. Um, and usually it's not that many people at a time that end up, you know, coming into the ecosystem and coming to live streams and coming to gigs and stuff. But if just, if I can just get one or two people a week or something, I know that, you know, by that time, if I can get a hundred people in a year, then in 10 years, that's a thousand, you know, and it just keeps on multiplying. And so I think that you just if you have you have to come into it with a strategy, using it for a purpose. That's social media, using the social media for a purpose, connecting, creating content that you enjoy making and you are passionate about. Because I make trombone videos, like I don't make other videos. You know, <clears throat> I talk about trombone stuff. I post music stuff. I'm not posting everything under the sun, and I'm not trying to be anything that I'm not. You know, I play trombone. I'm a jazz musician. I talk about music and I talk about my music and I put my music out and I talk about what I'm teaching and all that kind of stuff. So I think you can create a little niche for yourself just by being yourself and putting out content that you're interested in, putting out stuff that you're passionate about. Um, so to me, uh, I think it's essential. And so as a jazz musician, sometimes that makes it difficult because we compose long pieces and we think in long chunks of time in terms of solos. Um, and all that kind of stuff. So we have to figure out how do we get it down? You know, figuring, I figured out how to clip up some stuff for Instagram, but now I'm like, okay, now I got to get it down to 15 seconds for TikTok. And I haven't figured that out yet. So if anybody, <coughs> excuse me, has some suggestions on that, I'm open to, what, what can we do to get some more jazz and uh, more jazz and more trombone content on TikTok? Got to start a TikTok, TikTok trombone army here. Um, but well, thanks for the question. Uh, hopefully that gives you some context to how I think about it. Jazzbone PT. Sorry, I wish I knew your actual name. I would call you by your actual name. I know some people's Instagram handles so I can say hello to them. Uh, Joel Reyes has one more question here. <clears throat> Feel free to drop in 
Uh, okay, so Alan, he says uh, he's got TikTok ideas. So apparently we're going to start this uh, TikTok trombone army pretty soon here. Uh, but Alan, you're going to have to play trombone, uh, not trumpet. Uh, feel free to drop any last-minute questions here. I'm going to answer this one and maybe whatever else comes in in the interim, and then we're going to jump off for today. But really glad you're here. Happy Valentine's Day, if you didn't hear me say that already. Um, Valentine's Day 2020. Make sure you do something nice for somebody. Uh, my, my nice thing is happening. It's getting delivered soon, I think. <clears throat> okay, so Joel asked another question. How big is the trombone world? Would there always be an opening as a trombone player for gigs and education jobs? Well, I mean, the obvious answer there is no. Uh, there's not always opportunities and openings, but you have to be prepared for them when they come about. I mean, that's how I ended up teaching at UNT, uh, was that I was prepared with material and previous education experience when something came open. Um, wasn't necessarily something I was focused on. It was just being prepared, you know. They say luck is when preparation meets opportunity, you know, and I try to live by that and just be prepared all the time and have stuff together and know where I'm headed. I mean, things go crazy. I'm here and there and everywhere. The path is not straight, not a straight one, even though I think, you know, I've got these goals and I'm trying to get there, you know, the path is never straight. Um, are there always going to be jobs? I mean, I think as a, if you're the trauma player and you're creating opportunities for yourself, then yes. Um, I think that that's essential for just about everybody, except for bass players. Maybe uh, you gotta you've gotta um, create gigs for yourself. I mean, every, drummers and bass players and, and rhythm section players tend to have an easier time getting, you know, sideman gigs and just general kind of working stuff. You know, we have other opportunities as trombone players to play in shows and play salsa gigs and wedding band horn horn section things and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you got to be entrepreneurial, um, I think. Just being a trombone player, not an educator, not doing arranging, composing, not doing any of the other stuff is that's gonna that's a tough road, unless you're gonna be an amazing orchestral player and you're gonna like go there and that's super competitive. It's super stressful. But I think that the world always has room for another great artist. You know, if you have a musical point of view, if you have something to offer to the world, I think that there's always room and. You have to define what that life looks like for yourself. Um, what are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? How do you want to live? Where do you want to live? What goals outside of music do you have? You know, all that kind of stuff plays into, at least it does for me, plays into like what even type of trombone job, you know, there is. Like, for example, the Airmen of Note have two trombone openings right now. Uh, and for some people, that gig would be a great gig to have. And it's a great paycheck you get to play music for a living and you're got great benefits and there's so many good things but for some reason it's not for me and I just don't want to do it and so I've never sent anything in for any of the military bands and I've talked to guys in the band about it and they've asked me to send stuff in before probably not now I'm probably getting too old I guess but you have to decide what what things you're willing to do and you're not willing to do so um but I think there's always room for another great artist. There's not necessarily always room for like another utility trombone player. There's only as much work as there is. But if you can be unique, if you can be that person that can do everything, if you have something you something to offer, um, you'll be great. And uh, yeah, so yeah, the great bone. He says that's why we play bass trombone. Yeah, there's more work, and 
more opportunities. So it's being as, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a double-edged sword because you want to be as diverse as possible and great as many diverse skill sets as possible. But also, at the same time, if you get too broad, then you're a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none. So for me, undergrad was getting broad and then master's degree and into now has been refocusing on, like, what am I? <laughs> Who am I? What kind of art do I want to make? What kind of trombonist do I want to be? What kind of gigs do I want to get called for? Um, and I'm fortunate to have that, be able to do that. You know, I've had <clears throat> great opportunities along the way. Uh, and the education side of things has supported me too, you know. Um, and it really is a super helpful learning for yourself to teach because it helps you figure out um, how, to, how to do what you do and figure out how to explain it. And it helps you do it better, I think. But um, not to end on that note, but we got... We're going to wrap it up, I think, for today. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, there's one more comment I have to address. There's a comment here in the Instagram live stream that says, Valves are greater than slides. And I'm going to just give a thumbs down to that one. A live thumbs down. Not even an emoji thumbs down. Sorry, Alan. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here today, everyone. Uh, I'll try to – I think we'll, there will be time next week uh, to do another Q&A. So feel free to send me some questions. Go back to the beginning of this live stream if you want to check out the giveaway and uh, we will talk to you again real soon. Thanks guys. See you later.